So today, blink, today uh, we're doing something a little different. Normally in the months, you know, the summer months, June, end of June and July, I normally go through a summer series called At the Movies, where we look at movie clips and all these things like that. And I know so many people are excited about that. I just can't wait until Pastor Kevin does At the Movies again, because I love it so much. I hate to disappoint you. I'm not doing it. I, what, and everyone gets up and leaves. Have a nice Sunday. Good morning. Uh, here's why. If I were to ask you the question right now, how you doing? What's your answer? Meh. Good. Fine. Great. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm blessed. Hashtag blessed. Here's something I've realized. When I ask that question on Sunday morning, how are you doing? It's usually very Christian. I'm blessed. Oh, you know, I'm a child of God and everything is so amazing. I'm fine. That's the number one answer on Sunday morning. Fine. We jokingly call that the F word in our house. But if I actually ask you individually how you're doing, and I did that as an experiment this week on social media. I posted it on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok, and on YouTube. I posted it everywhere. How are you doing? And the number of people who actually reached out to me and shared on social media and then actually reached out to me privately on how well people are doing, the answer is overwhelmingly not good. Overwhelmingly not good. Now, I don't know if you remember this. A couple of years ago, kind of when we were kicking off the summer, you know, COVID started March of 2020. By the time we got to July, you know, I was kind of checking in on everybody, seeing how everybody's doing. And we were doing these surveys and we were sending surveys out to you. Remember the surveys that we did okay, back then? Because we wanted to know how people were doing so we could adjust ministry accordingly. And again, back then in July of 2020, overwhelmingly, the answer was... Not good. I'm not doing good. Pastor Kevin, I'm just not doing well. And now two years later, it hasn't gotten better. In fact, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's actually gotten worse. And what does that do for me emotionally? Honestly, if I'm just going to be transparent before you, it actually makes me a little discouraged <laughs> that two years <laughs> we're not doing better for some reason we're still hurting we're still confused we're still angry we're still struggling with anxieties and fears and all of these things that are just gripping us in our hearts so what i wanted to do for the next four weeks is let's just be open and honest and real <laughs> about how we're feeling <laughs> And then, not just to kind of have a pity party, we can all say, oh, I'm, you know, you know, I'm mad, or I'm angry, or I'm anxious, or I'm this, or whatever, or I'm feeling discouraged, or whatever. But actually look at what the Word of God has to say about our feelings. And what does the Word of God has to say about our emotions? And how can we respond biblically to how you and I are feeling? And so today what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about um, feeling hurt, <laughs> 
That was one of the big things that came up. Again, and it actually came up mostly privately. People who reached out to me on how much they're hurting. A few weeks ago, I, I went to pastor's conference at Muskoka Bible uh, Camp. It's where I got COVID. Turned out like 30 of us got it there. All the pastors got together and we all got COVID. So it was great. It extended our break a little bit longer. We got to rest. We needed more rest. So I got an extra eight days in bed because of that. But I had no word of a lie again and again and again and again. Pastors who I do not know, I've never met them before, coming up to me at coffee time, at break, or over lunch, saying, would you pray for me? I'm not doing well. Again and again and again, so many people Christian leaders, people in our churches, and people out in the world are hurting. And the question I think all of us have got to wrestle with when we see so many people hurting is where is God when we hurt? Where is God when we're hurting? Whether it's pastors or people in the church or people in our families, in our neighborhood, in our workplaces, in the community, out in the world, people who are far from God who don't know Jesus Everyone wrestles with this question, where is God when I'm hurting? So that's what I want us to look at today. And again, I think emotions are an important thing to talk about because the Bible talks a lot about them. In fact, I was, uh, I kind of got this um, a research that was done by somebody else, and he did all this research on the number of different emotions that are expressed by Jesus in the Gospels. And this scholar counted that there are 39 different emotions that Jesus expresses in the four Gospels. When Jesus looks over the city of Jerusalem and he sees how people are rejecting the ways of God, he's feeling grieved by that. When religious leaders care more about the rules and the traditions than they care about hurting people, Jesus feels angry. Uh, when the 72 followers of Jesus were describing how God used them to cast out demons and to heal people, Jesus was overjoyed. When his friend Lazarus died, Jesus wept in sadness. And just before Jesus went to the cross, he felt discouraged and lonely and in spiritual agony to such a point that he <laughs> sweated blood in his anxiety. Right, And so the study of emotions is a very important thing to do because I'm a firm believer that God has given us emotions for a reason, but not necessarily the reason to just let us run off in any different direction acting like crazy people. <laughs> that God wants us to use our emotions biblically. So what we're going to do today, if you have a Bible, I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 7. This is a short story. And uh, this might be a little bit of a relief after the book, uh, the book of Revelation series, because there's not going to be any judgment or hell or demons and plagues and all of these kind of wrath of God stuff that we've been talking about for 15 weeks. But here we're going to see the heart of God, the heart of God for people who are hurting. So in Luke chapter 7, I'm going to be reading starting in verse 11. I would encourage you to follow along in your Bible, or if you want to use the YouVersion Bible app, if you click on the Events tab, you'll see an outline there available as well. You can track along that way. So here it says in verse 11, it says, Soon afterwards. So just a quick description. Soon after what? What just happened? Well, Jesus just finished teaching the Sermon on the Mount. 
Though that's what happens in the earlier part of, of, of Luke chapter, uh, the end part of Luke chapter 6. This is the Beatitudes. Blessed are those. Blessed are those. Blessed are those. All the people who are hurting and suffering and mourning and dealing with problems of life. Blessed. You're blessed because of these things. It teaches them to love your enemies. The people who hate you. The people who want to kill you. The people who despise you. The response is to respond in kind and smite them. No, it's to love and to love them. Talks about not judging people. Yeast, or you will be judged. The way you judge others is the way judgment comes upon you. And he warns people about this. He talks about bearing good fruit. He says, your spiritual life matters. We should see fruit coming from it. Following God should make you look different than people who don't follow God. Right? And then he talks about being wise. Be wise when it comes to this spiritual journey thing. Count the cost because there's a cost in following God. So that's what the soon after, soon afterwards, that's what Jesus just taught about. So that soon afterwards, then Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said to her, don't cry. And then he went up and he touched the bier where they were carrying him on. And the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. And they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Here's one of the many times when Jesus does the unthinkable. Where Jesus does what religious people would consider to be impossible. Where not only does he cure the sick, but he raises the dead. See, because I don't know about you, but for me, dead is dead. Right? Can we kind of, we all kind of believe that, right? Dead is dead. Like how often when you have a loved one, a family member who has died, that you pray, I hope Luke's chapter 7 happens, that they're going to get off the table and they're going to be okay. We don't tend to think this way generally. Some of us do. But generally it's not the, the response that we think of. So death represents the ultimate hurt. It doesn't get worse than that. Because no matter what other illness you have before death, there's always hope. The doctors might cure this. God might heal this. There's kind of this hope in illness. But dead is dead. And the hurt and the pain and the sorrow that comes from death is huge. It's huge. I actually talk about this with some of my pastor's friends. This is just a little pastor's secret. When people ask me about like weddings and funerals, they ask me, which one do I actually prefer to do? 
I prefer funerals. I actually don't like doing weddings. And for those of you here in the room when I've done your weddings, not, not, but not yours. I like doing yours. <laughs> okay. Weddings are stressful. There are tons of work. And you're always worried that you're going to upset the in-laws and, and things like that. And there's all this tension. And it's actually really hard to minister and to just show people the love of God in a wedding. But when there's death, to be able to come alongside people who mourn. It's such a radically different position because dead is dead. And Jesus even says these words in his beatitude, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And there's a weirdness about that statement in that beatitude of of a blessing in the morning. And this is exactly what we see happening here in Luke chapter 7. So here we learn that there is this widow who has lost her only son. And yes, she's hurting because she has lost her child, because dead is dead and she's lost her son. But there's a, a deeper cultural hurt at play here that we don't always understand in our Western culture is by her being a widow with her having no husband and no sons. This means for this woman, the death of her son is not only mourning the death of her son. It's also mourning that she has now lost all provision in her culture. There is no one to take care of this woman, unless some people decide to be generous and come alongside and help her. So she's completely and totally at the mercy and the generosity of people around her. She has to, she's forced to rely on the charity of neighbors, of other religious people, as she struggles for her own livelihood. And that's all we know about her. We don't know anything else. We just know that one description, widow. And when you study that term in this ancient Jewish culture, that's her reality. That's her reality. We don't know how old she is. We don't know if she's a young woman who potentially could get remarried. We don't know if she's an older woman. We don't know. We don't know if the husband died. There's nothing there. We don't even know the age of the son. All we know is what we know from this culture when you study it. She has no provision, no provision, no provision. She's mourning the loss of her son. And it probably happens really fast. Because back in those days, too, when someone died, you buried them right away. Right? We don't have like the medical profession like we have right now. And you know when we go to funeral homes and you have like the casket and the casket's there for like three days and you go and you can pay your respects and things like that. You couldn't do that back then because once again, dead is dead. And then the body starts doing what the body does. When we die, the body starts turning back into dust, right? Created from dust, we return to dust. So it's done fast. You die, you're buried right away. So the mourning process It's fast. There isn't time to process it. There isn't time to grieve. There isn't time to be with the family and friends and all of those type of things. So here, trying to get this visual of this story is this single mom 
lost her husband, lost her only son, lost her livelihood, lost her provision in the world. That is hurt. That is hurt at a level that I pray none of us ever experience. And where is God in hurt? Well, this is what I want us to unpack together for the remainder of our time. Where is God in this woman's hurt? I think there's three things that we can pull out from the text here to encourage us when we hurt, but not just to encourage us in our own hurt. How do we be like Jesus so that we can encourage other people in their hurt? See, because that's always the reason why we teach the Bible, right? It's not just for what I get from it. But it's how does God want to transform me to be more like Jesus so I can live out my faith? Like it talks about in Luke chapter 6 of bearing this fruit so that I can live a life to bless other people who are hurting. Right? So three things here for how we can be encouraged in our hurt and how you and I can encourage other people in their hurt. The first is this, is that... Jesus overflows with compassion. Jesus overflows with compassion. I love here just this very, very simple verse in in Luke chapter 7, verse 13. Small little part here. It says, the Lord saw her. The Lord saw her. And and this Greek word that's used here for saw, it's not like just like, Oh, yeah, I see you. You know, they, I noticed someone out of the corner of my eye and you kind of you just brush them off. It's no, no, no. I see you. I see the hurt. I see the struggle. I see the pain. I see you as a human being created in the image and likeness of God. I see you. A little at the movie sidebar. You ever see the movie Avatar? The Blue People, Pandora, Theophrity. You didn't see Avatar? Go watch Avatar tonight if you've never seen Avatar, okay? But that's the way they spoke to each other. The Navi alien people is, I see you. And you know what? You know what? That's actually repeated uh, 40 times in the gospel that Jesus saw someone. See, that's the heart of God is that Jesus overflows with compassion for people. And the first way that it starts is you have to see them first. And God sees the hurt of this widow. Just like I know God sees your hurt and your struggle. And so he sees her. God saw her. And some translations here, in my translation, it says that he... um, Uh, When he saw his his heart went out to her, is what my translation says in verse 13. Other translation says has has compassion. Some says overflowing compassion with her. Again, the Greek word here, uh, I I wrote it down so I could try to pronounce it, because sometimes Greek is hilarious. Splagnit zomnehe. Totally butchered that. Splagnit zomnehe. There's the Greek. If you're a Greek scholar, I apologize for just offending you. But this word, this specific word, is only used two other times in the Gospels. It's used 
talking about the father's compassion when his prodigal son returns. This deep, deep compassion for this lost son who has come back. And it's also used describing the Samaritan who had compassion on the man who was mugged. And all the religious leaders passed that person by. When the Samaritan saw, he had this compassion. And, and really, the kind of the translation of this word, it's this compassion that just comes from your gut. It's a gut feeling. It's, this, it's like this twisting in your gut that you have to respond to this. You can't ignore it. The compassion is so great in you. That if you don't do something, no one else will. That's the heart of Jesus for people who hurt. That's how Jesus sees this widow. You see, God isn't some distant, faraway God. He's not some God sitting on some throne and we approach him with fear and trepidation all this time. And when God asks us, how are you doing, Bob? How are you doing, Sue? The answer isn't fine. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God loves you so much and his gut wrenches for your hurt. Because he has immense compassion. He notices. He cares. So when we're hurting, we have to be reminded of the truth that we see here in, in Luke chapter 7. These words are profound. Because Jesus said, whenever you want to know God, Jesus said, you want to know God, know me. You want to understand God? Look to Jesus. I talk to people all the time who think God thinks God is hard to understand. He's so not. <laughs> Just study Jesus. And you will learn completely and totally the heart of God when you get to know who Jesus is. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So where is God when I hurt? He has this immense, overflowing compassion for you. In your hurt. Okay? That's the first. Jesus has this immense overflowing compassion. The second thing that we see here from this text is that Jesus crosses religious traditions to care. One of the things I love about Jesus, and this is, this is one of those things that tend to get me in trouble from time to time. And if this is the things that's going to get me in trouble in this world, I'm okay with it. It's when really, 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 really hyper-religious people start getting mad at me because I'm actually saying what Jesus said. I'm actually okay with that. (laughs) Because Jesus, again and again and again, upset the religious leaders of his day. Now, not because he was living in sin, he was just doing whatever he wanted, and he, and he had bad doctrine, or he's just kind of living this crazy life. No, what he was doing was he was kind of pushing back, saying, hey, all these rules, all these regulations, all these traditions that you have in your religion, um, it's actually keeping people from God. Right? And so Jesus crosses these religious traditions in order to care. So you might be asking, well, what did he do? he touched the pallet that was being used to care, care, uh, carry the dead body. That's what the text tells us, that he touched it. Right? He touched 
the beer, the buyer. He touched it. That is against the law. It's against the teachings of Moses. It's against the teachings of the entire Old Testament. The again and again and again, touching something that a dead body touched would make you unclean. And being unclean in a Jewish culture was a really, really big deal. It meant you couldn't go to church. It means you couldn't go to the banquet. You couldn't hang out with your family. You couldn't go to the party. You couldn't go to the wedding. You couldn't go to celebrate. You couldn't do all the religious festivals because you're dirty and you're unclean. So you had to go away. And you were cast out of your community just by touching a piece of wood that a dead body is lying on. And what does Jesus do? Because he cares so much for the hurting widow, he doesn't care what the religious people say. And he touches it. His heart went out to her. He said, don't cry and then he went up and he touched the buyer that they were carrying him on. And the bearers stood still. I'm wondering if they were standing. Why are they standing still? The text doesn't say, but I'm guessing it's because they're in shock. Like, Dude, I can't believe you touched this. Like we're sacrificing. We're touching this and we realize we're going to be unclean for seven days now. But that's just the duty that we've taken on. And here comes this rabbi, this great teacher who just did something that no other religious leader would do. Touch a piece of wood. Scandalous. Scandalous, this Jesus guy, right? And again, if you don't believe me that this is a big deal, it's all over your Old Testament. It's in Numbers chapter 19. It's in Leviticus 21. It's in Micah 7. Again and again and again and again. Don't touch this stuff. But Jesus crosses the line. He crosses the religious tradition, he breaks the religious rule, not God's commands, but these religious traditions that people make up because he cares so much, right? See, that's what religion tends to do, right? Religion tends to build this line in the sand, said we're on the good side of the line, and all the bad people, all the no good people, all the unclean people, all the unholy people, all the people that God doesn't like, they're on the other side of the line. And Jesus is a line crosser. Jesus crosses the line every time for you in your hurt, in your sorrow, in your pain. Jesus crosses the line because he cares. That's the call that we have as the church. Sadly, I think we're putting up lines, deep lines, deep trenches that are telling people, God doesn't love you. And you can go and hurt on your own over there because we don't care. And I think we got to be very careful of these lines that we're digging in the sand because Jesus was a line crosser. So we got to make sure that we're not so closed off from people who are hurting and lost and confused and struggling right now in this world. We got to be ready to walk across the line to love them in their hurt. 
So Jesus has overflowing, he overflows with compassion. Jesus crosses religious traditions in order to care. And then finally, I'm going to conclude with this, is Jesus brings new life out of suffering. Jesus brings new life out of suffering. Again, Jesus walks up, he touches this piece of wood, this plank that's carrying this dead boy. The, sh- the crowd is shocked. <laughs> They're scandal, like they can't believe the scandal. And he says, get up. And then he gives the boy back to his mother. Your sorrow has been dealt with. Your shame has been dealt with. Your, your worry about your provision has been dealt with. Everything has been dealt with. The Lord saw, the Lord cared, the Lord touched, and the Lord brought new life. See, and again, that's the heart of the good news of Jesus, is that Jesus came to give new life. And so often we come to know Jesus in the new life because of hurt and because of sorrow and because of the ways that we're struggling and hurting. Somehow Jesus is able to speak into that so much louder than when life is amazing and life is good and I have all the blessings in the world. I don't need God when everything is going amazing. But suddenly in our hurt, in our sorrow, in our pain, Jesus shows up to bring new life. This was actually one of the guest speakers at pastor's conference that I went to a few weeks ago. This is specifically what he spoke about, is that we as the church, we need to get a better grasp of hurt. Because it's in the hurt that Jesus wants to bring new life. It's in the sorrow and in the pain, whether it's our own pain or whether it's in the pain of people around us. God wants to use us to bring love and compassion and care into that world. Like this is what uh, Paul wrote to the church in the city of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul writes this to the church to encourage the church in a church that's hurting in so many different ways. He says, therefore, because you're hurting, you're hurting, you're going through all these struggles, but God is so good and God showed his love to us by sending Jesus. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. He is bringing new life every single day for our, for our light and momentary trouble. How many of you consider your troubles light and momentary? It doesn't feel light and momentary, does it, when you're in your hurt? But it's what the Bible calls it. It's light. It's momentary. Oh, it feels really heavy and painful. But because God is bringing new life, right? So it's moment, it's light and momentary troubles. They are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Right, so that's why the big idea that I just want to leave you with today, and again, I know a number of you are hurting because you reached out to me on social media this week and told me. But I want you to remember this. As a church, 
We're not going to draw lines to keep people out. We're going to cross lines to bring people in. The world is hurting. We're hurting. And we're going to trust the God who has real compassion in our hurt. We're going to trust that God is going to work in our own individual hurts that we're dealing with. And that he's going to build us up to be a blessing to others who are hurting. Because God has compassion on our hurt. So we'll be compassionate on those who hurt. We worship Jesus who had a tendency of making some religious people upset. The right way. Not by false doctrines and all of that kind of stuff. I get it. But we're not going to put boundaries. We're not going to put limits that are going to keep people away from Jesus when they're hurting. Because we're going to trust that Jesus wants to bring new life. He wants to bring it in our lives and in our families' lives around us. And some of you might be wondering, whether you're here in this room or joining us online, you might be wondering, what is, well, what is this new life? Right? This new life is simply, when, Jesus, when the Bible teaches us that when we realize that we have this thing called sin, that it's sin. And what is sin? Sin is just every little thought, every little action, every little desire, all of the, our pride, our arrogance, our lust, our greed, those things that's not the way God designed us. It's not the way God wanted us to live. But we love those ways of living. We love our greed. We love our pride. We love our arrogance. We love our lust. And we want to worship that. When the Bible says when you repent of that, and all that means is to turn from it, turn from our greed, turn from our lust, we turn from our anger, we turn from our pride, and we say, God, forgive me for those sins. Make me new. That's what new life is. And the Bible says when you do that, then the Holy Spirit comes in you and you become this new creation. And yes, Jesus still says, in this world, you will have many trouble. So becoming this new creation doesn't automatically deal with the hurt. But the reason we can rejoice and we can celebrate and we can trust that God has our hurt is because then Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. So if you want that new life today, you can receive it right where you are, at home, here in the room, just by saying, praying in your own heart, Father, forgive me, a sinner. Come into my life and make me new. And if you pray that way on church online, a little pop-up shows up. Please click that. If you pray that way in the room today, please tell me after the service, and I'd love to rejoice with you. And for all of us as the church, as the church, let's remember that God is a God who cares so much about your hurt. He really does. He really does. And you might go, well, sometimes I don't feel like my church cares about my hurt. I don't feel like my family cares about my hurt. And when when that stuff happens, I'm sorry that happens. We're people, we mess up. But God never messes up. He cares deeply for what you're going through. Trust him with that. Trust him with that. Because he loves you. So let's pray. God, I praise you and I thank you for the incredible love of Jesus. A love that 
we didn't earn by being religious. <laughs> In fact, it was a love that pursued us. <laughs> That it was a love that came to us, even when some of us didn't even knew we needed it. <laughs> and so, Father, today we worship you in this place because you are a God who cares so much about our hurt. You are a God who meets us in our hurt. When Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. God, we mourn and we trust that you'll bring comfort God, when you say that those will, who are suffering and are struggling and are hurting, they'll be blessed. God, we trust you in your blessings. And so, Father God, I pray for us today that we would be men, women, boys, and girls who welcome your compassion into our hurt and then go out into this hurting world and show incredibly, incredible compassion. We have amazing opportunities for us right now as a church to show incredible compassion to people dealing with fear. So God, help us to show compassion where we can. Because you, God, are compassionate. And as we continue to worship Holy Spirit and meet with each of us, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.